0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And we got a pretty stacked panel. You know, like I, I kind of, listen, I promoted pretty hard, but, you know, I, I I have to say it again. It's a stacked panel because we got a, a stacked topic. This is important. We got a lot to say about this. So without further ado, let me introduce, uh, I'm going to start with our, it's not a dark square, but it's our, our voice from above. Joining us, it's Bill Brewster from Sulamore Capital. What's up, Bill?
1: How's it going, everybody?
0: All right. We got Jeremy Deal from JDP Capital. What's up, Jeremy? Hey, how you doing? All right. We got Stephen Keel from Arquitos. What's up, Steve? Look, you fresh from Abu Dhabi, and he's got a beard now, and glasses, and in a suit. I mean, look at this guy.
2: Trying to keep up, and I got to say, Bill and Jeremy have such pleasant voices. We have to have you guys on more often.
0: Yeah, this 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 is for sure. Bill's got that. Bill's got that good. He's got that good mic. You know, look, he knows what he's doing, man. Um, <laughs> and then we also got new to the panel. Well, Bill is also new, but new fresh for me. I actually we hadn't met before this, so I'm really excited to welcome him on here. It's Francisco Oliveira from Arrivello Capital. I said that correct, right? Arrivello? Yeah, yeah, Arivelo Capital. Thanks Arivello? for having me. I'm excited about this. Oh, it's great to have you on. All right, so let's dig right in. We're, our topic today is streaming services and the future of media. Now, this was a topic I wanted to do a couple of weeks ago, but one person uh, on this panel I, I really wanted to be on this because we had talked about it in our individual podcast episodes. So he's here right now, so I'm going to let him kick it off. So Jeremy, let's let's take let's just do your general first take. Streaming services, future of media. You know what what's your first thoughts, and then we'll go from there.
3: Well, the fund my fund is invested about. Sixty percent of our capital is in and around the sector. We're we're really excited about it, um, and not not excited about all parts of it, but just generally excited about what it means to you know how, how the industry is evolving, ad tech in general, and what is going to be possible um, with advertising. And so, um, I guess if I was to start, I would say. You know looking where we've it's an industry that i've been fascinated with because where we've come from and where we are today versus where we're going are just so dramatic you know if you think about 20 years ago um when you wanted to advertise you looked at you know looked at a billboard or a radio station or something and you just had no way to measure um the the results so you'd spend a fortune on an advertising campaign radio advertising or billboard or whatever, and you just had to hope. You had no way to measure. You had no way to understand um, the return on investment that you were getting. And um, so, some of the early ad tech players, like like Google, um, created you know an opportunity for people uh, to to target and measure things. But it was limited to kind of their own ecosystem. That Facebook came along um, and kind of introduced the world to what was potentially possible. Um, And over the years, um, we've had just a migration of of technology, just an an explosion of technology that is essentially allowing um, a lot of smaller companies to create results for advertisers um, and allow brands to advertise in a way that's measurable um, and just opening up an enormous opportunity. And then, you know, going out longer term, Um, the opportunity to take it to, to not just replace, um, old economy with new economy and, and replace, you know, uh, you know, newspaper revenue with, with ad tech, you know, maybe more like a, you know, OTT campaign or something, but to, to pivot into actually converting those advertising into to to sales. So we call T commerce, for example, in television or, or, uh, creating that interaction between, you know, the consumer and, and the advertiser is just just, we're just in the very 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 early stages of that so it's just it's a very exciting uh, sector um, and the three companies that we're invested in that we like um, are roku cardlytics and spotify uh, spotify is not just an advertising company but it is uh, absolutely a, an ad tech type of business and um, we like those businesses because they 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 control the eyeballs they can they control the demand and um, so just full disclosure, you know, kind of where I'm talking from today is probably from the perspective of, of those, one of those three companies or all three of those companies.
0: Very cool. Steven, you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the most exciting thing recently is what Spotify is doing in the podcast network, uh, which probably most of us are aware of. Certainly you are, Bobby. And um, <clears throat> that's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, people are just listening here. Bobby is, is uh, making gestures there. Who <laughs> me? But, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of next generation uh, uh, specification on those things. And uh, we'll see how it all all pans out because if, if just think about the, the podcasting in, in general, I mean, I download podcasts in advance um, and then listen to them afterwards where, you know, Spotify is betting on kind of a streaming service in the future where you can geolocate uh, ads and you can r- really specify ads, you know, based on um, uh, specific interests and things like that, like other services do. Uh, and, you know, is there enough revenue in that? Uh, it's, you know, same idea why YouTube, uh, why Google's YouTube did uh, the YouTube TV. The idea was that they can offer the cable services cheaper than traditional cable because they could uh, make the ads more specific and therefore charge higher rates. Uh, and I think we're really in the first or second inning of this, you know, in the next five or 10 years, um, that kind of specification uh, will, I think, dramatically increase. Uh, therefore, the uh, efficacy of these ads will dramatically increase. And, you know, all of us have probably seen, you know, I'm looking, I'm, say I'm searching for something I want to buy. I buy it. And then I still get the ads for the stupid thing I'm searching for for the next two weeks, right? You know, and this is the early days uh, that, uh, you know, they know you're searching for it, but they don't know anything else beyond that. So we have some specification, but, it, but it's still, it's still kind of dumb in that way. And, you know, I think as we, we progress to the third and fourth and fifth inning, we'll, we'll see some, some very interesting uh, advancements in that area. Spotify could be a leader. Uh, certainly, um, but you know, it remains to be seen. Uh, it does does kind of demand faster uh, streaming speeds. So, you know, perhaps five G and other things associated with that. I, I like the idea. I like the potential for sure. And you know, I think there are other companies that will reveal themselves over the next few years that are other than uh, a Google and an Amazon and and Facebook. And maybe they'll get bought out by those companies, or or maybe they they'll threaten some of those companies over time
0: all right so francisco can you explain to Stephen the concept of cookies all right and clear cash okay so he <laughs> so he doesn't continue to get those same ads popping <laughs> but no um, yeah okay. and cash, I mean,
3: who doesn't like who doesn't like cookies and cash who doesn't <laughs> like cookies and cash?
2: That's what I'm saying. Those are two <laughs> of my favorite things, actually. But you know, why why do I have to manually do that? Why can't my uh, service, Why can't Google Chrome automatically do that once they they read that my email? Right? They know I ordered it. Can Can it clear it out on its own? That maybe that's the next inning of this.
0: Maybe that could be inning four. All right, Francisco, I, take it away. I I think what's
4: interesting about this is in the streaming market in general, we can come from many different angles. And, and Jeremy talked about the ad side and Steven as well. And, and you also have Spotify, the audio side. Um, but you also have the what, what's been very popular lately, the streaming wars, right? So Netflix dominating and disrupting the, the pay TV bundle, but also forcing legacy players to come in the game um, with HBO boosting its service, trying to go global. You have obviously Disney coming in. You have Apple coming in. You have um, CBS and Viacom merging to launch a new service as well. You have smaller players um, that are, have more Nietzsche type of, of services like AMC. And you also have Amazon in, in its platform as well. So everyone's investing a lot of money here and they're all trying to get the eyeballs. and. What I what I think is is interesting to me is that I'm not really sure there's going to be a ton of winners here, and there's people who are sort of all in but not really all in, and there's other players that live by this, um, such as Netflix. Full disclosure, I, I do own shares in Netflix and Spotify as well, and but so what's the, the the stakes are getting bigger, the the, the amount of capital. Um, that is needed to to play in this space is getting bigger, and I'm not sure there's going to be you know basically a, a a field of dreams for everybody entering the space. But if you do, if if you're if you are able to stay in the poker table, if you will, as the amount of money needed to needed to be invested in this space uh, increases, I think you know the, the bigger players have a, have a huge opportunity ahead, and not only for the pure play services, but also using the service to to sell their things right netflix is pure play but um, if you stream a lot with amazon you're more likely to you know buy toilet paper as they say but you you might also attach other streaming services via amazon channels Um, apple wants you to use their apple tv plus but they also want you to potentially pay for cbs all access attached to that and also keep buying an iphone and an apple watch and an ipad and so on and so forth um disney wants you to to stream to disney plus and it also wants you to watch the mandalorian buy baby yoda dolls go to the theme parks when they open again and you know buy lunch boxes and et cetera. Et cetera. so everyone's coming in here from different angles and so there's the ad tech side but there's also um pure streaming players and streaming players that really want to sell their services and, and products attached to that
0: Absolutely. That was actually one of the notes that I took from from Jeremy's opening that you just mentioned too here is that this idea of, you know, ad tech versus streaming services. And then I'm sure there's going to be some overlap in with some companies that are doing a little bit of both. I mean, like a Spotify is kind of doing a little bit of both. Um, so Bill, I know you only have a... a, a a short amount of time here joining us today so i thank you for spending their time so let's let's get your take too and then and then we'll kind of take it again well, first there. of all
1: thanks for having me cuz i'm not sure that i belong in this company i'm just uh i'm i'm punching above my weight class here um
0: i oh well that's my that's my <laughs> that's life most of my life space, as well all right bro so it's it's totally it welcome yeah, to the club so uh
1: <laughs> i think francisco and i are going to have similar ideas because we talk almost daily or well definitely daily Uh, he's probably the sharpest media guy I know. Um, so I guess as far as disclosures, thinking about how I would disclose in this, I mean, I'm, I'm long, uh, charter and the related entities I'm long Altice. Uh, and the reason that I think that's relevant is that's one way that I'm playing this trend, uh, specifically the streaming of video. I think the, the idea that you are going to be able to have a a broadband connection that you can't rely on is laughable. I, th- I think it's table stakes now, and I, you know, they they are important to that. As far as the companies that I own that are in the streaming space, I mean, I own Disney, and then I own a little bit of Netflix and Spotify. Disney is the only one that I am like have. I have a lot of confidence in Disney. I have a moderate amount of confidence in Netflix and Spotify. I'm sort of closer to on the fence about. Um, so. That's that's sort of how I come at this. Uh and I'm happy to expand on anything, but that's that's probably the most relevant stuff for now.
0: Well, I mean, I know we don't get usually into specific name, but I think there's more there's a thematic uhness to some of the things that you just said, you know, in in um, how you're feeling about some of those companies in particular? But you know, it, it seems like everybody has some exposure to Spotify on here. So I'm just curious, throwing it right back to you, as to why why you're more on the fence with Spotify and and their and, and what's happening right I now. I guess it, the
1: difference games. to me between Spotify and Netflix, so a, a core whole like a core operating thesis that I hold is shareholder bases matter a lot, and the thing that Spotify clearly has to me is a shareholder base that is not only willing to look long but also encourages it and i think that that's i mean you you to me you can look throughout a number of business stories but patient shareholder bases that let visionary ceos do what they want to do is a very very strong combination the thing that worries me about spotify is there is a lack of differentiation between what they offer and what like Apple offers, for example. And I think that it's objectively true. If you look at the labels, how much they're, they have started to earn from streaming. It's objectively true that streaming is extremely important. I am not a hundred percent there on whether or not I think that Spotify is going to be able to crack enough of the code to justify the current valuation. I guess that would be the only thing that I'm, more uncertain about. Whereas like Netflix, even though I think that it's easier to argue that it's overpriced on today's metrics, I have a higher degree of confidence in where I think that business is going. And I think that their scale advantage is almost insurmountable at this point.
0: Gotcha. Anybody want to jump in? I think one of the things
2: to look at is generally over time, these things turn into oligopolies, right? So if you have platform, whether it's platform video, platform audio, et cetera, who are the two to three winners? Who is the Visa, MasterCard, American Express of the out of these three groups? And those are the ones, obviously, you want to be able to bet on over time. And we have some clear differentiators right now, and I'm not so certain that those will be the leaders in five years from now, seven years from now. Because you know you think about Apple. I mean, Apple could have dominated the podcast network and, and just didn't, right? Um, and, and you have other examples as well, you know, Amazon could have done certain things too, and they've just, whether they chose not to, or they missed the opportunity, or, uh, they did, did not take advantage of, of their user base in the way that they could have. You know, I think that's, what's interesting looking forward. I don't know who those winners are. I think, you know, you can see who the lead horses are at this time. Um, but that doesn't mean those are going to be the, the, the three main companies at that time. And essentially you want to be in those three main companies. Uh, in the future, because that's when those returns on equity end up being, or returns on invest capital end up being, you know, higher, the margins are higher. And then, you know, all of a sudden, um, you're you're able to cash in on that platform that right now they're developing.
4: Right, I think what's interesting about Spotify to me is that you can look at the sort of barricades, right? They have Apple with unlimited funds, right? Investing in, in Apple Music, and, and you have their relationship with the labels, Spotify's relationship with the labels, that it's a difficult one because the labels just uh, command such a high porc- percentage of revenues. That's tough to be extremely profitable when you're paying 70% of your revenues to, to you know, basically a small group of labels, three uh, main labels. But what's interesting to me is when you look at the other side of it, is that who's doing something that Spotify, like who's doing exactly the same thing as Spotify or really competing with them. Because when I look at the competition, I, I really look at it as at extremely fragmented and Spotify's differentiation is actually, actually growing over time. Apple Music is, is basically a, a service for Apple users, right? And, and we know that the majority of, of smartphone users are, are not Apple users, even though the Apple users are extreme, extremely, extremely uh, valuable. And then Apple Music is not really getting into to podcasting uh, because Apple has another, another service. And Apple's really, is not clear to me that they're investing a ton of money in that. And especially in, in getting actually tools for, for podcasters, re- creating relationships with, with podcasters and also cre- creating high demand exclusive content and testing different types di- different type of content. Spotify is really all in and, Basically, we want to be all audio, right? We want to have music, but we also want to have podcasts. They've tested things around audiobooks and hired a head of, of audiobooks. You can imagine that over time, they'll experiment with, with live type of content and more news and possibly sports and, and possibly, you know, concerts and, and live events. And they're, they're getting basically the, the best, uh, the, the highest demand type of podcasters exclusively on their service. Yeah. Um, re- the Joe Rogan Experience uh, is obviously exclusive, but you know they're, they're 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 probably going to. If you wanna, if you are starting a new podcast and you're very high in demand, what's gonna give you the the biggest is global exposure and reach? And if if you look at some a uh, recent deal that they signed with with DC Comics to create original exclusive uh, comic book stories. They did it with Spotify because Spotify is going to give them the biggest exposure. Marvel signed a recent deal with Sirius XM and Pandora, and Marvel is is obviously more popular in the movie space. But, you know, I would argue DC, the DC uh, comic book um, type of audio podcasts that are coming out on Spotify are going to be listened to way more people than the Marvel ones on Pandora and Sirius. And, and Spotify's strategy of being, you know, basically ubiquitous any phone service, any smart speaker, any smart car, um, any laptop, any basically everywhere you can get the app, it's possible to listen to something. They're gonna be there, investing that, and it kind of reminds me how Netflix is basically on any in any new smart TV, and the button on the remote. Well, Spotify yeah. has that that type of attitude. So being able to get the biggest audience. Um, and even though you have a tough relationship with the labels, if you invest in different types of content over time, I, I think you can pr- basically create a really good business. Um, is the free cash flow going to be enormous over the next five years? Probably not. But if we rewind five years ago and you, you told me that Netflix was going to burn, I don't know, you know, close to 10 billion <laughs> or, or a little bit less in, in free cash flow, maybe I would have told you Stock price wouldn't be where it is today, but obviously those investments have paid out and I think Spotify has, has their eye on the ball and I, Jeremy probably could touch on this because he, he touched on the ad space, but creating this investment for all these exclusive content also creates other revenue opportunities, particularly in, in the ad space and they made a, an acquisition there this week. That's, that could be
0: interesting. Listen, Jeremy, before I get to you real quick, I mean, look, I was sold on starting to use Spotify for podcasts when every time I'd be on the Apple one, it would drop every single time. I was like, this is just driving me nuts. Like every single time, but I digress. That's why I ended actually, I did, <laughs> I went, I went Apple to Stitcher and then I went to, and then I finally was like, wait, I'm paying for Spotify and they got all my favorite podcasts on there. All right. I'm, I'm now going to use Spotify. Full disclosure. I'm not a shareholder in any of the companies that have been mentioned thus far.
3: Jeremy, your thoughts. Yeah, I agree um, Francisco I so I think it's important to think about where a company has been where it is today and where it's going and um, there so my perspective is that there's an enormous differentiation between Apple and Spotify when Tim Cook gets up in the morning he's not thinking about Daniel Eck and he's not thinking about how am I going to make a better experience for my user base in audio specifically around podcasts and what can i do with that and what does the future look like that i don't believe that's their objective at all they're a hardware company they always will be and i think that their goal is um despite whatever in the media i mean you know companies like samsung hardware hardware manufacturers are always trying to to be software guys they're always trying to do that and it's, it's, it's just not gonna be the case. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with the idea personally that, that, that Apple is really not the, the, um, the issue for, for Spotify or even a threat in any capacity. Otherwise they would have at this point gotten remotely close to their subscriber base. Um, and where, where Spotify is going though is you're right, it's, it's not completely clear. What I like about it is a lot of what you all touched on and what Bill what you touched on as well is that you've got, a, you've got a, a shareholder base, you've got a, control, a founder controlled board um, that lets them take risk and lets them make really long-term investments. And when Daniel Leck gets up in the morning and he goes on his you know famous one or two hour walk, even when it's cold and dark in Sweden, um, he thinks about like, how am I gonna, what are we gonna do today to compete? And if I look at the progress they're making and where they're going, they're using um, kind of like Ben Thompson talks about the rungs on the ladder. So you know, you use you, you you he's you know Spotify kind of invented the streaming market for for audio, but that's just where they began. The idea of just offering streaming for music is a is a, is a long been a commoditized concept. Anybody can do it. There's really no barriers to entry, but but the but you have to kind of look at all the shots that spotify is taking to monetize audio because audio is extremely under monetized relative to video maybe it's it's maybe it's 10 percent monetized monetizable relative to video and a lot of it's just because there's there's a lack of an ability um to trace and track and pay uh and target just like in, in other types of media and so Um, Spotify's progress and focus on the the artist is really fascinating to me. Uh, The idea of the two-sided marketplace and the Spotify for artists is is probably the driving thesis that that I'm interested in personally and why we're so invested in Spotify. Um, I think that their opportunity to unlock value uh, in, in audio is just enormous. Uh, the opportunity to allow targeting uh, and work with this with the labels uh, in order to grow is i mean the labels need spotify more than spotify needs the labels and i know that sounds a little bit crazy because it sounds like how does spotify exist without the labels but it's it's not it's not this it's not this kind of we need to work in it the, the every every day if you go back to the labels you know even five or ten years ago they had very, very little value. They might have been worth, you know, five or 10% of what they're worth today. They're really worth what they are because of the effort Spotify's put in and now a little bit, you know, streaming with, um, with, with the other big players as well, uh, uh, Amazon and, and Apple, but the opportunity to unlock in the near term advertising dollars from the, from the labels and provide marketing um, and marketing in a way to reach new fans um, for music that just wasn't there before is enormous. And one of the examples I, I was reading about recently, you guys probably read this. There was a, an example where a guy on TikTok. Now this isn't Spotify, but it's an example of of how this works. There was a guy on TikTok that I'd never heard of called Dogface, and Dogface is this guy, this old guy that rides a skateboard around LA doing crazy stuff. And they played in he and one, and he has a ton of followers or whatever, and. Um, he played a Fleetwood Mac song, an old Fleetwood Mac song from 1977, and it, and Fleetwood Mac jumped to the this song jumped to the top of the charts, and it's an example of a whole new group of people potentially heard and listened to that song and became a fan even even just for one time, uh, listened to it in a way and generated revenue for Fleetwood Mac and for the for the label. So imagine that times. You know infinite uh the inf- the opportunities are infinite especially to interweave music and attribute music uh, within within podcasts within short form video um, there's just so much opportunity that's being unlocked and will be unlocked over time we just see a, a, a very much a clear winner um, and i know that it's hard for people to get their arms around the idea of of how are they going to grow and how are they going to get their margins up but we we've already seen the very first innings, a very, very first beginning of, of how they're getting their margins up with the with the new two-sided marketplace and the the margins um, higher. So instead of the artists paying or the record labels paying, they just take a reduced, they pay a reduced fee. And so it has the has the as the uh, effect of the margins growing out. So I feel like there is a, a clear path, much more clear than than I think people think. Um, and feels to me that we're just in the very very early innings and the big guys just it's just not their core company it's it's not competency it's not their focus and they're just they're just there to offer kind of you know there's a lot a lot of ways you can just listen to music but spotify is just much more than an avenue for you just to listen to music
0: right hey steven hey steven real quick i want to come back to your to your thoughts on this but i know bill has to bounce so bill you want to give your 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 final take before you uh you hop out of here
1: yeah, I got like 7 minutes, but I'll I'll say my last smart thing of the day. Um I, I think uh maybe my first, who knows. I I think that something that's interesting uh, is I've I read in an expert interview that that what is going on today in listening habits is kids are streaming the next song, right? And activating back catalog is actually pretty difficult among the the current new crop of listeners so i a sort of a mental framework that i had was well what are the what is spotify without all of the back catalog that the labels bring to it and sort of what that interview made me contemplate is the idea that maybe the back catalog is way way overstated on a go forward basis and that the real issue is how do you get the next rap song or whatever the genre is that kids are listening to, you know, once upon a time it was EDM, I guess now raps back. Like the real question is how do we capture whatever heat is in the bottle today and drive listening? And, you know, I I have a cousin who manages artists um, one of which is a hip hop artist and, you know, he's trying to get on rap caviar all the time. That's like a huge, huge uh, it would be a big win for him. So it's been interesting. I, I think that there's real merit to saying that Spotify is at least one of two attention aggregators in a world where uh, attention aggregation is completely disaggregated, for lack of a better term. And that, that um, real estate within that playlist is super important. And the idea that they're not going to be able to figure out smart ways to monetize that is sort of hard for me to fathom. And and sort of a related thought, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out here that are probably listening, and they're saying, "Why aren't you guys talking about what Discovery is doing, or HBO Max, or Peacock, or or any of this?" And what what I have begun to think about Netflix and why I'm comfortable own. I mean, I own it as like a tracking position, right? It's like one of these. I buy these things because my mind works much much harder on them when I own them than when I don't. Um, you got to fight endowment bias when that happens, but I. I think on balance, it's a positive for me. The, the deluge of content that Netflix is releasing and the quality that it's releasing, I think is actually attacking the value of an hbo back catalog. And I think that it, people that look at Netflix today and they say, well, it's not financially viable or whatever they they perceive. I don't think that's even the game that Netflix is playing today. I think the game Netflix is playing today is we have so much capital and such great focus that we are going to destroy the competition. And when they are destroyed, that is when you will see our free cash flow start to harvest. And I know Francisco has some thoughts on what the pandemic sort of flashed for Netflix's financials, and I'm not going to front run them on that. But I do think that there's something very, very real to the willingness of capital markets right now. I don't know if it's interest rate related. I don't know if people have figured something out. It's probably a little bit of both, but the the leash that these companies have to go out and kill the competition, I think it's gonna be really, really, really hard to combat. And yeah, you could be Discovery and have a couple super fans. I'm long QVC, Lord knows I hope our super fans stick with us from a transition to Roku. Uh, you know, but I, am not long QVC because I think their streaming future is bright. If that happens, I'm going to be pretty much not doing interviews anymore and retired on a beach somewhere. Um, <laughs> but, but like, that's, that's more of a, I believe in the capital allocation coming back to me thesis. And I just think these subscale, uh, players, it's going to be really, really hard, especially to Jeremy's point, like HBO Max is coming out of at and AT and T right now is focused on Direct TV, hemorrhaging losses uh, or sub losses. They got a dividend requirement that they got to figure out. They got this five G rollout. Like the the management focus just isn't there. And I wouldn't want to compete against somebody like Reed with that shareholder base and that access to capital and that focus. If you're them. And I
3: couldn't agree more bill, especially the, the idea about the overstated of the back catalog. I mean, the back catalog is such a tired story that the bears on Spotify have. It's just like, and same with Netflix. They, the idea that the back catalog, I mean, the back catalog is being created by some guy you know, build a rapper who creates a song and a hit in his or her bedroom and puts it and uses the tool, the modern tools of today to get it out there and develop a fan base. Um, there's a role for the, there's a role for the, for the, um, catalogs to play, uh, for, for the managers to play at some future date, but the value is, is much more, you know, is, is on the side of the creator now. Um, and so I, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you brought that back catalog story up because um, as time goes on, we're seeing it shift in favor of the artist um, more so than the, you know, more so than the, than the label. Um, yeah.
1: And the distribution mechanism, distribution, right? Yeah. Like I think that's, that's where some, I think more value will accrue to the distribution mechanism than some of the bears appreciate. So yeah, I got to jump guys. It's
0: been fun. I have a uh, marital obligations. You, Take care. Get after it. Thank you, Bill. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, Stephen, you were saying?
2: Yeah. You know. And then I, I think this is a question both for Francisco and Jeremy. Then, like, talk about vertical integration, and you know, how does that happen? Does it happen over the next few years, both with audio and video? Less with, less probably with video. More on the audio side. You know, does Spotify acquire a label? Do they start a label? Do they have some sort of direct to Spotify recording? Maybe they already do That's a great that. Great question. What, what are both of your takes on that? I don't think they need to. Um, I don't think they
3: need I'd to buy... I agree with new... that.
4: They, you know, the labels, you know, some, there's uh, Warner Music Group who's public, and I think Universal might spin off soon or, or is in that process or they want to sell. Um, there are high multiple stocks, right? And then you look at the... Take a look at the Warner Music's last 10Q, and... <laughs> you know, they're, it's a business under pressure and they lump in digital revenue, uh, streaming and, and digital copy sales. So it's, it's going up, but, you know, physical copies are going down. Digital copies are going down. Streaming is growing, going up. But within that, you know, basically Spotify and, and Apple are, are your biggest sources. And as, as Spotify continues to grow and they're going to be at Close to you know around 340 million users by year end, could be around 400 million in in a year or so. Uh, they kept they kept they keep talking about a billion users, and a couple of years ago that might have seemed crazy, but I don't think it's crazy anymore. If they have a a platform with a billion users and the biggest growth driver of a label, the label has to play ball with them, and. The, the label business is difficult because what what bill and and, and jeremy touched on the back catalog it's it, it's really hard to it's a much harder to monetize that today than than in the past but um when you have a superstar artist they want to have their own label joint venture and they want to own their rights they don't want to be part of the you know um drake is not going to be a a, a, a a basically uh, a slave beholden to any to universal label. yeah beholden yeah. to universal or, or 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 Adele or or you know Taylor Swift or the next super mega star they're 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 not gonna be you know handcuffed to to any label. They're gonna do their thing and on, on their own terms and their own type of marketing. And if they do a, a Netflix uh, documentary it's gonna be on their own terms, they're gonna monetize and it, it's a tough it's it's really tough and when you think a a recent comment that Daniel Ek made is that if you're an artist today uh you can't just do an album a year or or every three years you know you gotta be out there constantly with the fans music all the time bang 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 it's it's a tough world and if, if you have different labels competing with each other on like um on minimum guarantees of new artists it's it's a tough business. I would rather be Spotify in the sense of continuing to grow your platform giving tools to artists, giving tools to podcasters doing exclusive deals or win special windowing and over time the labels are gonna have to play ball um, if you're a platform with a billion users. Um, so I don't think that
3: and it's a strange it's a strange question. Oh, no, yeah, no, sorry, i was gonna sorry. say i don't it,
4: think they need to buy a label and so
3: that's but it is it is interesting because it, it's so counterintuitive to think like that it took me a long time to understand the value in not owning um the music um and it, it is it's something that i've heard daniel ac- answer multiple times but it's it just it didn't it initially didn't didn't really it seems like well that's what you want to own because it, but it's it's kind of like the question do you if you're starbucks why do you, do you want to own the real estate Uh, Would you rather own the real estate that the Starbucks sits on or would you rather own Starbucks itself? And the leverage and the value is in actually owning the eyeballs um, and owning the demand as Ben Thompson says, um, and and not the supply in the internet, you want to own the demand. And so it's really hard to own both. So if you focus on your expertise and as Daniel X says, the job to be done uh, to own the To own the demand, it actually much it's it's easier to monetize and you can create more value with that music um, through your platform than you can if you just owned it yourself. Because what you need is you need this reinforce, self-reinforcing model where it attracts more and more and more artists and users to the platform because it unlocks the value that wasn't there before for them to earn. You know, whether it's a living or just get richer or whatever, because kind of back to the marketing stuff that we originally talked about. The way, if you look at the way that artists are are marketing now, it's super interesting. They're uh, one of the most popular forms of advertising or of marketing is just doing live video of like their daily habits. So whether they're in their sweatpants, you know, ironing a shirt or going to Starbucks or getting a drink or like showing up kind of lazy to the recording practice or whatever, and that and or just. Or then they have their, their fan base and maybe they'll even release some artists are releasing songs, just playing them in their living room, just, Hey, what do you guys think about this, <laughs> this, like, I, it's, it's not produced. It's nothing. It's just raw. And that, and, and, and this loop, this feedback loop that's happening as a result of the artists being able to kind of inter- interact with the, with the fans. Um, is just, we're in the early stages of, of learning how we, that that can even be monetized. So Spotify is in a good spot, and it also helps artists. If artists can make more money, they'll depend on Spotify more because Spotify controls that demand, um, and and it's kind of a win-win-win for everybody, even the even the old economy labels.
0: Absolutely. So there was one question that I that I had too that also really kind of inspired this, and and Bill started touching on it a little bit, in this idea of how you know with Netflix really just going all in pushing all their money towards you know creating as much quality content as well and um uh, act, there was an activist letter sent by dan loeb you guys have probably all seen this talking about why disney needs to double down on its streaming spending and then there's of course a counterpoint from chris bloomstrand as well but i thought it was pretty interesting to see that you know there is this push of and and it makes a lot of sense to some a lot of what you were saying francisco earlier where you know it kind of it makes sense for a company like a Disney to why not just push your chips all in on this right now, because really, yeah, you're going to be getting the revenue from your subscription service. People are going to sign up and all that stuff, but their money is in selling all the toys and everything else. So it's almost like you push this here because that serves everything, the carrot over here. You know, what what do you guys think about that? Yeah.
3: I, I you know, I think Chamath said something like, Why would I invest in a company that has nothing better to do with their money than return it back to shareholders in the form of a dividend or a buyback? I've got thousands of companies I can invest in. This is one of the most incredible times to be a public company investor. Why would I, would I invest in a company that's just like, sorry, I don't have anything better to do. I have no, I'm completely out of runway. I'm completely out of growth. So I'm just gonna hand you back that cap- capital. Why, why would I do that, especially as a small fund under 10 billion in AUM? And so to Dan Loeb's point, absolutely I agree. Like why on earth, Disney has so much opportunity to continue monetizing and to grow their streaming business Um, I think that it's a, it's a huge disadvantage and, and to it, the shareholders for management and the board to look up and say, Hey, we're, we're out of, we're out of things to do with this money. And so the only thing we have to do is just allow a double taxation of, of return of capital. Um, just so this stock can sit in some dividend funds or whatever else. But I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely more opportunity for Disney than just to hand cash back to shareholders. I mean, this isn't, you know, it's not a declining business. So yeah, for whatever it's worth, I think Dan Loeb's absolutely right. I, I think
4: I, I completely agree with Jeremy. I think what Dan Loeb sees is that Netflix, Netflix really changed the game and up the, the, the amount of chips you, you need to make. It's like, if you're playing, you know, Netflix saw a bunch of kids playing water polo in a, you know, four feet, you know, pool. Uh, and now decided to let's, let's raise that to 20 feet and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be 19 feet tall and who's going to come to play. And well, no one can play in that game uh, to, to, to Bill's point. Um, they're investing so much, so much good content, quality content. Not all is, is content that people will like, but the amount is so much and the amount of subscribers that are getting is, is so high the engagement keeps growing, it's really, really tough to compete with that. So I think going back to Dan Loeb and full disclosure, I, I own Disney as well, forgot to mention that. Um, they, Dan Loeb sees Disney and they're like, they can play in this game. Um, we, we, we talked about how the back catalog in the library is not worth that much in today's world where Disney is pretty unique in that their, their back catalog is actually worth a lot. They've proven that with, with Disney Plus, they have over 60 million subscriber subscribers in in less than a year today is actually the the one-year anniversary of, of disney plus disney reports oh, oh
0: shit i knew i was getting <laughs> hit on my card right now damn it ah so so i, was, so, I knew that knew that was happening yeah, just but kidding.
4: but but uh but yeah so 60 million subscribers in 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 less than a year and basically one hit show that's original um in the in the mandalorian so most of that, you know, is being driven by the catalog, the attention that, that kids have, that some of it is due to bundling as well. But they can play in the game that Netflix is playing in without having to, you know, spend uh, $15 billion on, on their streaming service. They can spend, you know, I think Dan Lowe is basically saying double your budget, um, maybe go to $6 billion, $7 billion. And, and you're going to be able to play in that game, you don't have to, you, you could beat Netflix's size without investing the content, the, the amount of money that, that Netflix is investing. That's an extremely profitable profitable business for Disney. And then like you said earlier, uh, lobby, it, it drives other parts of the business. So Dan Lowe's like, put the pedal to the metal, blow off the competition like Netflix and play in, you can play in their game and have an incredible business.
0: And I think I mean, that is, is absolutely right. I mean, they have so much stuff they that do. they can, I mean, they, they Endless, own so right? many the titles. Content like, is
3: unbelievable.
0: I'm also yeah, well, a huge Marvel fan, so I want to see more. But what are the odds they, they do? More. You know, we're
2: talking about a, a, a corporation that has, um, you know, a different kind of setup uh, according to its competition. It has the history. It has the bureaucracy. It has these uh, other interests. Uh, you know, what are, the, what are the odds that they go all in on it in that way? I, th- I think the
4: odds are, are high, and be- in, in part because, one, because of the sex- success of Disney+. Plus, and when you have that success, you want to kind of, you want to keep the momentum going and, and, and push, the, push the, the pedal there. But also the pandemic, right? So it's, it's made them reevaluate the theater business a little bit where you know I don't think their 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 mentality of, of push, you know pushing Avengers type of movies in theaters has changed but maybe maybe a movie that they would have spent 50 to 75 million dollars well maybe that's better for for Disney plus look Hamilton um, the the play that the, the uh, Disney bought those rights for I think it was around 70 million pre-pandemic it was going to go to theaters And it went to Disney Plus instead, and it was an absolute smash hit for the for the streaming service, and it drove a lot of new subscribers. And I think they saw that um, they saw where they you know they the number of subscribers that they're they're, they've uh, generated, and they haven't even launched in Latin America, all of Europe, all of um, most of Asia, and they've gotten to these numbers. They recently, I think, they started the, the the. pre-ordering of the service in brazil and in mexico and other parts so they they have a, an enormous enormous opportunity to keep, to keep to keep growing and i think you know they they already had to dan loeb is kind of interesting because he said don't pay a dividend anymore well they stopped paying the dividend because of the pandemic well it's kind of a more of a mental thing like hey you're actually your capital allocation you know, forget about returning. You know, kind of to, to Jeremy's point earlier, forget about returning it to shareholders. G- Diddy's has, has been actually pretty good about returning capital to shareholders historically. And Bob Iger uh, comes from that school of thought, um, and and they've returned, they've bought back a, a bunch of stock historically and, and paid a good dividend. But now you have an opportunity uh, to to you're not paying a dividend. Your parks are going to take back. To take time to come back online and ju- just go for it. So I think besides the major, major, major blockbuster franchises, which we're only talking about a handful of movies a year, uh, everything else, uh, the priority is is Disney Plus and their streaming services.
3: Well, the sky's the limit. You know, they they really are at a, at a, and I think management understands this, listening to their their last few calls, now that like to your point, Francisco, that. You know that disney plus has been unleashed they realize they don't have to wait around for third parties they own the distribution and they they can just do so so much more is available to them as far as getting their their products out to the market that they can move with so much speed and if i had to guess my guess would be that dan loeb is really on management side here and because you have to your point Green. steve you have this old legacy kind of culture maybe at the very top or a board that has been beholden to certain institutional shareholders for a long time that have been so used to this kind of payout ratio during non COVID times that you need an activist like that to come in and kind of force the change. And I'm sure management, you know, would, would would love the idea of not paying a dividend, but they, they kind of need that push. They need, um, to be able to say kind of like, Hey, it wasn't us it was this big shareholder that kind of pushed this change. And now we're now we've committed to this pipeline of, of, of like more production of, of, uh, you know, turning up the dial on production. Um, I've seen companies like that, you know, over the years where you have a, there was a company that I was involved in a few years ago that management needed an activist to actually put the, put the business plan into place because you had this big shareholder that didn't believe in the management's growth plan. And essentially forced the management to not move forward with the growth plan, which ultimately tanked the stock and ruined—not ruined the company, but it really limited the the upside. And so sometimes um, activism can be very beneficial to push the the growth a little bit more when you have a shareholder base that just may be so entrenched and 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 and, and used to kind of just the same, the same, and and they just need that to move forward. But um, yeah, just. My thoughts on it, I guess. Well, if you
2: had if if you had Malone making the decisions, you'd have a tracker stock for three yeah, yeah. right now.
3: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, you would. You would, and yeah, I mean a couple. This, a lot of those Malone companies. You know, they don't really have an option but to you know, if you're Discovery or whatever. I would argue that the best thing they can do is buy back stock because they are they're not they're they're going to be challenged for growth, and they do have infrastructures that are not really positioned to take advantage of 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 trends tomorrow, but they're great businesses. They have amazing content and they'll do well, but, but they probably are more of the, uh, they just do a levered buyback model and, and kind of like direct TV did. And ultimately direct TV, um, you know, was sold to AT&T and it was a terrible deal, uh, for AT&T, a great deal for shareholders and all that, you know, I think he had shrunk the, st- the stock by 80% over his ownership. And, that was how he grew because organically it was sort of just maybe flat and then now it's been somewhat of a melting ice cube um and now direct tvs or n- and now at and is sort of stuck with this property they don't know what to do with maybe sell it for less than what they paid but um you know there's a lot of cases where the buyback may make sense um but yeah i think disney has so much opportunity in front of it um
0: my my, my final question because i know you guys got to get out of here but you know, are we already starting to see the major players really kind of place their stake? Like we are going to be the major player probably for a while now. And are we already getting into the conversation of like, okay, well then how do you carve out your own niche in this new media landscape? You know, are we just talking about niche media and making sure that you're, you're trying to cap- create content as low cost as you possibly can that's as high quality so that you ultimately do get bought up by these major stakeholders? I mean, are we already there yet? on the streaming services side anybody
3: i Uh, think i
4: think we're if we're not there we're pretty close um i i think it's really tough to get to the scale of netflix or or even to the scale of disney plus i mean i think so disney i mentioned earlier that they have 60 million subscribers in in less than a a year i think viacom and cbs their combined streaming services don't even reach 20 million and, and they've been uh you know they took Showtime streaming and CBS All Access streaming at least five years ago I think so and it's tough for them to to take those businesses internationally and I'm sure I'm sure they're they're going to try so it it, it, the the stakes like I mentioned earlier the water polo game I I think is really tough now and people are going to try I think Peacock is going to try and with Comcast but they have their hurdles they're not uh, it's going to be tough for them to be a, tr- a, a real global service. So Comcast owns Sky, so they have, you know, uh, the UK market, German market, Italian market, and, and some smaller uh, markets as well. I own Comcast as well, uh, full disclosure. Um, but taking Peacock to the global level, it's tough. And if you look at the, the, the deal that their studio has done, They've sold their, their DreamWorks animation kind of a back catalog to Hulu, their Illumination catalog to Netflix, their Universal movies go to HBO. It's going to take time to, to really clean that, to clean that up. And the studio, the, the traditional studios are in a similar spot, even though many of them are part of conglomerates, but they're in a similar spot to the music labels in a sense, because the... The, the movie and television studios are always focused on selling each unit of content. You know, taking this Fast and the Furious movie and going to the theaters, then selling the DVDs, then going to HBO, then going to TNT, and profiting off each unit because directors and artists also got paid on, on the revenues that it, it generated over its lifetime. And that game is basically over. And if you have to disrupt that and, and, and go to your own service, your service has to be differentiated. Uh, you know, look what it took Disney, Disney, the power of their differentiated content is what's gotten them to this level. And if you don't have that, and I don't think anybody really has that, then you're already you going to invest $15 billion a year to compete against Netflix. I, I, that's a really, it's a really tough game.
3: I wouldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, we're, we're in a, you know, we, we've come from a situation where the content guys controlled the whole ecosystem, more or less, and that's changing. I mean, you're going to, it's just like other industries, um, you're going to specialize. And so content may be king, but you need, in order for it to be king, you're going to have to focus just on content. And we're in this stage where these guys are hum- humming and ho, and they can't, you know, they just can't, they're, they're struggling to give up what they feel is um, what they used to have control of. So with the unbundling happening and people going to over the top and, and moving away from traditional cable, um, you know, yeah, their content has value, but that's, it, it, they need to kind of focus, they're kind of coming to that, that point where they're saying like, okay, look, we, we can really focus on this content, but somebody else, somebody else is gonna own that bridge to the, to the eyeballs of the consumer. And that's a different fight And that's probably not a fight that the content guys are going to be able to win. It's not the position they're in. You know, people like Discovery are not going to be able to control nearly as much as they used to control. They're just going to be able to now make content, which is fine, but it's not the same business that uh, Roku is in, for example. They are going to have to pay uh, to be a part of that ecosystem or they're going to or if, if you're going to be, you know, and and also it's it's a, it's an enormous opportunity if you if you want to start a content company there's so many content companies that are coming up because they look at it and say great I could just create a a a show or I can create some content and and stream it on on YouTube or Roku or whatever and let them worry about it let them sell ads and I can monetize it that way so it's it's ultimately beneficial to the consumer because the consumer wins with a better product at a lower price but yeah we are going through a phase as francisco said like the the You know the big guys are kind of looking up and trying to understand what is their ultimate competitive advantage and it has shifted um and you know content is great and and they're just going to have to kind of keep producing great content and ultimately um some of the tech native companies um, that are going to you know somebody else is going to focus on 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 distributing that content and and monetizing uh, when it comes to advertising
0: very good all right, so I think we're pretty much there because I know you guys got to get going. So uh, along with telling everybody where they can go and find more information about each of you, my quick one hitter is back in the day, what was that first Netflix DVD that you got sent to you and then sent back? I'll go first. I think mine was Smallville and I and I binged the entire, uh, up until I think season seven. But uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K Craft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. Uh, uh, Stephen, let's start with you.
2: <laughs> i mean i'd actually have to think about it I, I don't even remember because i think i was going to the red box uh stands <laughs> over at the grocery store <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so what was
2: the first dvd
0: at the red box
2: gosh what year would this have been i mean maybe what, what are some of the new releases from like 2002 uh i don't know sticking a dollar bill in there without even paying with a credit card uh, fast <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some sort of throwback, like uh, like a Clueless or something like that. <laughs> there uh, you go. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, you can uh, find me on Twitter, uh, Stephen underscore Keel, K I E L. Uh, I'm at uh, my fund is Arquitos Capital, uh, which you can find by Googling, and uh, uh, also uh, run Willow Oak Asset Management.
0: Very cool, Jeremy.
3: Yeah, I have to echo Steve, and we may have been at the same grocery store. I mean, I, I remember going to the first Red Box at, at, at un, Underground at my Ralph's in downtown San Diego, where I'm from. And um, it must have been one of the, I, I vaguely remember doing it for the first time and putting the money in and getting the rental out. I, I, it probably was a Jason Bourne, one of the first Bourne movies. I, more or less, it was around that time. So, um, yeah, that's right, the, the grocery store. I love that. I <laughs> love that it's still there. Jer- and Jeremy, where, where can people go? Oh, yeah, go. JDPcap.com, dot uh, JDP Capital Management. Um, and I'm uh, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but uh, I am. I do have an account as Jer- Jeremy Deal. Very cool. And Francisco, close us Uh
4: I was actually a big blog blockbuster blockbuster guy. Even though you know, when I worked in New York, I I, I go to the blockbuster as well. And I remember uh, binging. Um, think the last kind of show that I, uh madman to catch up yeah, to. to there where you was. Go. yeah catching um, up yep there you go. Go. so b- before everyone talked about the show but it was really tough to to catch up so i remember getting the dvds for for that one um and you can find me i'm on twitter a lot franco olivera uh is my handle on twitter so I'm happy to chat with anyone in that medium
0: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you all for joining me today. And and thank you everybody for watching and uh, see you next week. Thank you. Thanks,
4: Robert. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye.